0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Take your Bibles. Let's go to Acts 12. And we're going to get there in a short while. We started the year in Psalm 2 with one of the most important why questions in the Bible for God's people. And I'm paraphrasing, but what I'm going to say, which you'll see on the slide, is really what the passage says. Why do the heathen, non-believers, why do they rage? Why, why do they have riotous hate? And the peoples, <clears throat> that's plural in the Hebrew, why do they, the nations, the peoples, imagine vain things? And why are they stirred up by their leaders against the Lord and his Messiah. Why, why is there such vitriol? Why such hatred? For what is so good and liberating? Well, the answer is they hate the thought of Jehovah having any authority over their lives. We will not have this man to rule over us. Psalm 2, 3. Here's their attitude. <clears throat> Let us break their bands asunder. And cast away their cords from us. God is looked at, on as some kind of an oppressor. And his liberating truth is restrictive and, and hurtful. I want to cast it off. But their rebellious, hateful acts are so ridiculous in comparison to who God is as he sits enthroned that he who reigns in the heavens laughs at their futile efforts to oppose him. Now, because of this, our response to the heathens' rage as we try to love them and help them, our response should be that of the early church uh, who applied Psalm 2, by the way, to their situation in Acts 4. We're in Acts 12. When we get to Acts 13, we're going to see that they draw on Psalm 2 again. They're very aware of this second psalm. And here's what they say in Acts 4, 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may speak thy word. That should be our attitude. We we don't have reason to have any other attitude. All right, Lord, behold their threatenings. You're God. You sit enthroned. You laugh, it's ridiculous that that they even think they can oppose you. But Lord, that's your business. Help us. Give us boldness that we we may just continue to speak your word. I hope that that will be burned into our minds this year. I don't know what all we might face. Satan knows God's working here. He's not going to sit idly by And we live in a nation that more and more has absolutely nothing that they want to do with God. It just, okay, you know that. So you're in Acts 12 where we find an amazing example of what Psalm 2 and verse 2 is talking about. The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. And we're given some specific kings. In the New Testament, who opposed God, and especially now in chapter 12, we're going to look at a particular king who should have learned from his family lineage, you can't oppose the Lord. But he's going to try, and if you want to just take a quick gander at the end of the chapter, you're going to find it does not end well for this guy. So from this text, we need to be encouraged by the reality we do not need to fear when the heathen and their rulers rage against the church. No reason to fear. God can deliver in miraculous ways if he chooses to, but his will is ultimately always best and it's going to be accomplished. Uh, the winds of opposition may actually blow you off a course that you thought you were on in the will of God, but it's okay, just continue to yield and you'll stay in the will of God. He doesn't have to show you all that he's doing, just know that what he's doing is absolutely good and according to his plan. So I've entitled the message today, Prevailing Power for the Church. Every chapter in Acts talks about what the Holy Spirit is doing, and he's, he's most often named the power behind what God is doing through the church to help reach lost sinners for Christ. But then we get to Acts 12, and once again we see prevailing power for the church as God works and moves on behalf of his people. So Acts 12 1 says this, Now about that time... Herod the king. Now that time is A.D. 44, according to the Jewish historian Josephus, who recorded that this was the year that Herod Agrippa I died. And again, the end of chapter 12, we'll get there in the narrative, he dies. He dies an awful death. Josephus documents that year. Now we need to consider his lineage But this is not merely a history lesson. Okay, What I'm going to show you today is what God did despite who was in control, who was reigning, who the kings were at this time. Now I apologize for this. Uh, You're going to have to look closely. It's not easy to read. uh, But I'm going to Uh, Walk us through this, all right? Keep in mind, Herod the Great, his sons, Herod Agrippa, and these other Herods, they are the ones in control in Israel through the New Testament. But here's what you need to remember. None of them were fully Jewish. In fact, their whole line is Edomite. Edomian is the New Testament word but they were descendants of Esau, not Isaac. Though, because some of them married Jewish women, there's there's a, a mix of that. You also need to remember, so uh, that means none of them were of David's lineage. None of them are rightful rulers to the throne. It makes me smile to think that These guys are in control, and specifically the one at the top, Herod the Great. But he's not the rightful king. Those who would have been the rightful king show up five miles south. She's riding a donkey. She's great with child, and he's leading the donkey. You know their names, Mary and Joseph. So Matthew gives us Joseph's line. Luke gives us Mary's line, and both are descendants of King David. Which again is why when the wise men come into Jerusalem and they're looking for he that is to be born king of the Jews, Herod's very concerned. He knows he's not the rightful king. He knows it. By the way, the Jews know it too. And so he inquires in the scripture through the scribes, where the Messiah is to be born. He's to be born in Bethlehem, okay, just south of Jerusalem. And so he sends the wise men down there, and this character says, now when you find him, come and bring me word, because I want to worship him too. When we get done talking about this guy and his descendants, you're going to understand really how ridiculous that was. Okay. And so, as we look at this, I want to just lead us through what's on this chart. I hope it will be instructive to you, but again, it's not just history. There's a powerful lesson that we can learn uh, from this diagram. Herod the Great, he's at the top. He was king at the time of Jesus' birth. He's the granddad. He's the one that gave Jerusalem the city Uh, really a 20-year facelift. We will often refer to the temple that Jesus and the apostles were in. That, That temple took 20 years to build. We call it Herod's Temple. He would later, this was the guy that sent soldiers to Bethlehem to murder any male child under two years of age when the wise men didn't come back and tell him where the Christ child was born. Now, what does that tell you about somebody that's willing to do that? You and I would have to admit there's no heart. There's no sensitivity there. This this guy is brutal and he's full of himself. Well, that's exactly what he was. Now, he had four sons who have biblical notoriety. There were other sons, but the four sons are down below. Okay, I'm going to name them for you. uh, Aristobulus was the first son. This man is significant, but let me tell you about him. He and his brother Alexander were raised in Rome, not even raised in Israel. Raised in Rome and then sent back to Rome. When they got back to Rome to live with their father, Herod murdered this man after he murdered his mother. Soldiers strangled Aristobulus and his brother Alexander for disloyalty, but Josephus, others say, it was just trumped up. He was was so petrified that somebody was going to take his throne, he was willing to do anything. This is the same king who built two massive fortresses in southern Israel. One of those was the Herodium. The other was uh, Masada. How many of you have seen that? Some of us have been on top of Masada. These fortresses, because he was fearful somebody was going to come against him and he was going to have to have a place to hide. Masada, the one fortress, he never even occupied it. He never visited it. He just had it built in case. Okay, The guy was, was... just an emotional wreck. And so he has soldiers strangle his two boys. But before one of these boys is strangled, the one we're looking at, the first one on your list, okay, he has a son named Herod Agrippa, later to be known as Herod Agrippa I. And so we're going to come back to him because he's the Herod of Acts chapter 12. Let's let's go on. Archelaus is the next son. He followed his father on the throne. And he was the ruler after Herod the Great, his dad, killed the babies in Bethlehem. And you remember that the Lord says to Joseph, now it's time to return back. But Joseph hears that Herod is dead and his son reigns in his place. Well, who's that? That's the second guy in the second tier over, all right? Archelaus. So when Joseph hears that he is king, he's fearful. And so he takes Mary and the Christ child back to Nazareth instead of going back to Bethlehem. He wants to be away from Jerusalem where this son of Herod is now reigning. Next to him, you'll see Herod Antipas. He's made king after Archelaus. He's also put in charge of the area of Galilee. So he's got a larger area that he rules over. Hence the term. How many of you have heard the term in the New Testament? Herod the Tetrarch. It's this guy. But now he's got a greater area to rule. And so every other passage in the Gospels that references Herod is speaking about this guy. Again, second row. Second row third guy over herod antipas he's the one that had john the baptist beheaded because john spoke out against his sin what was that he stole his brother philip's wife now you'll notice the fourth name over is philip he took his wife herodias now we'll come back to her Pilate sent Jesus to see Herod Antipas, Luke 23, 8 to 12, because he finds out Jesus is from Nazareth, which is in Galilee. Oh, that's Herod Antipas' area. I don't have to deal with this guy anymore. And he sends him across the city to meet with Herod Antipas. Now, what happens when Jesus gets there? Well, Herod was excited. I hear this guy can do miracles. He's going to come and he's going to show me a miracle. No, he's not. He's not an entertainer. So Jesus gets over there and Herod has all these questions. I would love to know what those questions were. Scripture doesn't tell us. But Herod keeps asking questions and what does Jesus do? He's not going to give this man an answer. Jesus knows who this is. This is the man who beheaded his cousin, John the Baptist. This man is not the rightful king in Israel. Jesus is. Understand what's going on here. Herod is asking him questions. And this puppet king is asking the king for answers. Question, does the king have to answer? No, he doesn't and he does it. all right. And so Herod and his soldiers mock Jesus, they put a robe on him. Now it's a different robe that, than what Pilate will put on him later. Uh, the, the text indicates it was a right uh, a white robe. That's what the Jewish kings would would wear. and so in mockery, that's what they give to Jesus. He gets to keep the robe. But he doesn't. When he gets back over to Pilate, that robe is exchanged for another one. But Herod, the soldiers mock him, and then he's sent back to Pilate. Now, the fact that Pilate was willing to show deference to Herod. These guys hated each other. But he's willing to show deference by sending Jesus to him. He's acknowledging Herod's authority. And when Herod is done with Jesus... He sends him back to Pilate, which is acknowledging Pilate's authority. And what the Scripture shows us, and and this is just, you know, the world can hate each other, but when they look at us as a common enemy, now they're all friends and buddies. And that's what happens. Now they're friends. They both hate Jesus, but they've acknowledged each other's authority. Last you'll see on the list again, Philip. He's given authority over Transjordan, that area, an area called Decapolis. Those of us who have traveled to the Holy Land know that there are two Caesareas. There's one on the coast, and then there's Caesarea Philippi in Transjordan. Well, those ten cities were ruled over by Philip. Okay, Caesarea Philippi. But he's the guy, again, who had his wife stolen by his brother. Now, let's go back to Aristobulus. Remember, he was strangled by his dad. But he had lived long enough to have some sons, including a son, who would be known as Herod Agrippa I. Herod Agrippa I... So, dad murdered his own sons, but he liked his grandsons. That's nice, isn't it? And so, Herod Agrippa now is the one who is reigning when we get to Acts 12. But I'm going I'm to have us focus on this chart a little bit longer. His sister is Herodias. Look at the third line down. So Herod Agrippa has a sister, Herodias, through, again, Aristobulus. This is the same Herodias, who really is the niece of those guys up above, married Philip, and then gets stolen from Philip to Herod Antipas. Do you see a problem in this family? Huh? Terrible. Okay. And so, Herodias, no doubt named after her grandfather, first married to Uncle Philip, then married to Uncle Herod Antipas. What an immoral family. So, when we think, why do the heathen rage? Heathen is an accurate description of this family in every way. Now you know why John the Baptist spoke out against Herod Antipas. He knew this man. He knew his family. Jesus also spoke out against Herod Antipas. I'm going to show you the text. It's Luke 13, 32. The Pharisees warned the Lord that Herod would kill him. And watch what Jesus says, Luke 13, 32. Go ye and tell that fox... Now, what's a fox known for? Sly. They try to hide their evil intentions. And by the way, they're cowards. They really are. A fitting description. Go tell that fox, behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Literally in the language here, I will finish my purpose. I will reach the goal for which I was sent. Go tell that fox what I just said. Now what's amazing to me again is Jesus knows full well someday he's going to have an eye-to-eye meeting with the fox. He's not going to speak to him. But they're going to, be, they're going to meet. And by the way, Herod Antipas is going to be part of What everyone's trying to do to stop Jesus, but they're going to cause Jesus, in fact, to be crucified and to fulfill redemption's plan. Do you see how amazing this all is? The point is, with this background, and here's why I gave you the, the quick history lesson. God fulfilled redemption's plan while the vilest of political figures were in authority. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. And who is the law? Herod the Great. But redemption's plan is right on schedule. Nobody's going to stop it. And so we can also look at the fact that Jesus perfectly fulfilled his earthly ministry with these rulers in power and their descendants. Yet what seemed to be unrestrained evil at the highest levels was no match for the powerful working of God. Now, let me ask you a question Is there any application in that for us today? I look at Washington and and I want to say, Is anybody seeing what I'm seeing? Well, there aren't a whole lot of people talking about it who should be talking about it. It's out of control. And so we as a church need to hunker down and, Lord, please come back. It's really bad. No, no, stop. It's always been really bad. And God grew His church. And He's doing it in America and all around the world. So my church family... Nothing has changed today, and we have nothing to fear. That's the application here. Now look at our text, Acts chapter twelve. Here, of the first stretched forth his hands. Okay, that's a common idiom meaning he stretched forth to afflict, to harm the church, to vex certain of the church. So it was it was targeted. He had a very specific plan. It had just been over eight years since Stephen was martyred, and Saul went on his murderous rampage. Eight years. After Saul's conversion, the church, again, was thriving, was spreading. Herod Agrippa, a wicked man, did practice Judaism. They, they talk about this. Don't be surprised when when wicked rulers try to appear religious. That was Herod Agrippa, okay, or uh, uh, the, the first. He practiced Judaism. He wanted to please the religious establishment in Jerusalem. And so to do that, he targets specific individuals in the church. Now look at verse 2. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And and it just makes my heart sad. I want to pause and have a moment of silence. (laughs) What's this saying? Herod went for the jugular. James was part of Jesus' inner circle. Peter, James, and John. He and his brother John were the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. Bible scholars, commentators talk about what what that was even a reference to. But, but as, as we see snippets of their life, these guys were zealous about what they believed. And now, Herod takes out one of these lights. He's the first apostle to be martyred, either by beheading, which the Jews consider to be a shameful death, so that's why they did it. John the Baptist is beheaded, Many believe that James was beheaded, but with a sword, he he may have been run through. They just, in Herod's presence, they dispatched him. Luke doesn't tell us for sure. Here in Acts. But in Matthew 20, Jesus predicted his disciples would suffer death for the gospel, just like Jesus was going to do. It should, again, bring us comfort To know that our Lord, who created us, gave us life. He knows when life will end for the believer and how it's going to end. In fact, when the scripture says, precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints, that's what it's referring to. Everything about that ending here on earth, we live eternal. but, But when our life is done here on earth, God is superintending in every detail of that. What an encouragement. What a blessing. But Jesus told his disciples, and they said, Lord, we're willing to die with you. And he said, are you, are you willing to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Are you willing to be baptized with the same baptism, uh, referring to death, that, that I am going to be baptized with? Lord, we're, we're willing. And he says, well, you will. You will. It's fulfilled. Matthew 20 is fulfilled right here. Now it begins. What a comfort to know that our Savior already knows what our end will be, just as he knows what our enemies are up to always. Now as the text unfolds, we'll see God is able to do with us whatever pleases him, just as he will do with his enemies whatever pleases him. I want to try to build our confidence in our God today. Not this isn't a pep talk. Look at what the Scripture is saying. Here's our problem: we think we should know how all this is going to turn out. God doesn't promise that, and God knows we don't need that. I don't. By the way, I don't want to know. Okay. On this day, at this time, it's going to end this way. No thanks. But I'm thankful my God knows. I just need to be faithful and continue to serve Him. Christian, nothing in your life is random. It's purposeful. Which is why Paul could say to the Romans in Romans 8.28, and we know, say it with me, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called, according to His purpose. All right, here it isn't finished. Look at verse 3. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Right. He's, he's carrying out his plan. Then were the days of unleavened bread. So James died, and Peter is arrested at the very same time. The days of unleavened bread is a reference to Passover. We'll see that again in a little bit. For Herod, this was the best time to win points, political points, with the people. Remember, at Passover, Jews come from all over the Roman Empire, all over the world to be in Jerusalem. Great, great time to make a point. For the apostles, they were suffering at the same time their Savior gave his life for them. Now, verse 4, And when he had apprehended him, Herod had apprehended Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him to four Quaternions of soldiers. What that is speaking of is four units of four soldiers. So he arrests Peter and he puts 16 guards on him. Now think about that. This isn't Samson, it's Peter. And he does so to keep him. Intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Now, did you know Easter was in the Bible? All right, don't get too excited. This is, commentators are unanimous in their dislike of this translation. It's not the word for Easter. In fact, it's the Greek, uh, these words, which means after the Passover. Okay, so Easter... Doesn't fit here. Okay? After the Passover, he was going, because they couldn't put a prisoner to death on Passover, afterwards he was going to bring Peter out in front of the people. And, again, there's an understanding here, murdering James pleased the people. Murdering Peter is going to even please them more. That's what was the intent. Now, in this passage, and there's a lot more of Acts chapter 12 to go, but this is where, in the original language, the first paragraph ends. This is uh, the first section of the story. So you're going to all have to come back and hear the next part of the story. Remember when your junior church workers would say that, you've got to come back next week, okay? The donkey's falling off the flannel graph, but you've got to be buried. All right. Y'all come back. This is is where we're going to have to stop today. Let's review and let's bring this to a close. Herod Agrippa is a calculated politician using the winds of public opinion for his perceived advantage. But he also knows, and his family before him knows, that Jesus and his followers are. There's something unusual about them. And what they know for certain is there is power that they have that cannot be explained. Now, fellow believers, let's understand the reason we're opposed is people know. There is something powerful about what you and I believe. One of the ways they know that it's transforming us. They're religious, they're lost, but they can't explain how you can be happy and different. They that are in Christ are new creations, old things are passing away, all things become new. Understand, while that is a great blessing, it's liberating, it's exciting for you, it scares them. They can't explain it, they don't understand it, unless they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And they're liberated. So Herod and his family, they know there is something different. I wonder what kind of backroom discussions they had. All of a sudden, there's this guy named Jesus who's preaching up in Galilee. And he's healing and he's doing all these things. Well, I thought Grandpa dealt with that problem. Where'd this guy come from? And then all these miracles and people are being raised from the dead. And and then Pilate crucifies him. But now, at the highest circles around Jerusalem, but, but we've got a problem. We know what we paid the soldiers to say, but there's an empty tomb. They haven't found a body. And oh, by the way, as the months uh, or the weeks go on, over 500 witnesses have said they've seen him alive again. And probably in the barracks, the soldiers are saying, Oh yeah, let us tell you what really happened. And then he ascends back. And now his followers, these disciples, they're calling them apostles. Now they're doing miracles around Jerusalem. Ah. And so we get to Acts chapter 5, and they, they take Peter and the apostles and they throw them in jail. They throw me to throw them in jail and during the night. An angel comes and lets them go. The soldiers go back in the morning to get them. They're not there. And then somebody comes running in and says, you know those guys you arrested? They're preaching up on top of the temple mount. Now you know why here it puts 16 soldiers to guard Peter. He's not getting away this time. Oh, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Because you cannot stop the plan of God. He's God. And so ultimately, here's the point. The Lord is about to show Jerusalem, the whole region, and even the powers in Rome. Because they're going to have to replace Herod when we get to the end of chapter 12. That the God of heaven is powerful on behalf of his church. He loves us. He gave himself for us. He now indwells us. He wants to continue to use us mightily to get the good news to others. And his plan is moving forward. And whatever he decides to do with you and I in the plan, he's good. He's good. So recognize the power. Don't fear the other powers. Let's be faithful to our God and declare the liberating gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for this text. Lord, we look forward to continuing through Acts chapter 12. Lord, it doesn't matter that the heathen rage and their kings imagine all this stuff. They can't stop you. We get to the book of Revelation and the the kings of all the earth gather against you. Against your people. And all you'll have to do is say the word and they'll be done, finished. So, Lord, help us to meditate on this truth. Help this truth to consume us. So that when we feel that that sense of anxiety or fear when when we have the opportunity to tell others about Jesus, that, Lord, you enable us just, just to push through that, trusting you and witnessing for you. Use us, we pray. And, Father, thank you for these encouraging texts that renew our understanding and strengthen us, give us boldness to serve you. In Jesus' name. and make him known to others.